From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. Presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, I'm your host, KG Smooth, and I have on the phone line with me, we're going to be talking um, all things income and wealth, and that just happens to be uh, the title of his book. He is a former teacher and um, real estate expert and uh, also a music teacher and musician. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. David Parker to the Public Affairs Podcast. How are you, sir? Fine. Thank you. Thank you. How are you today? How are you today? I am wonderful, man. I've got no complaints, you know, but I choose to be happy. I choose to vibrate high. How about yourself? All right. (laughs) Exactly the same thing. Yes, indeed. So, um... Tell us a little bit about yourself. I was reading your bio and, you know, your years of experience in teaching and being a professional musician as well as a real estate investor uh, is really nothing to scoff at. And, and at first, you know, just reading with all the combined years, I was like, well, well, how old is this guy? Like, you know, 40 years with this experience, 40 years with that. Like, it, what is what is he, 100 years old? But but no, yeah. it's just the 40 years yeah. combined with all of those things. So uh, just yeah. tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm more than 100 years old. I'm 150. <laughs> wow. I'm not kidding. I have not only 40 years inner-city public school teaching. I didn't quite send my kids there, but that's where I wanted to teach. I, I love that environment. And... Uh, then I volunteered for 10 more years. I couldn't get enough of it for free. Mm-hmm. That's 50 right there. Wow, then that I, is. Then I played 20 years in the Berkeley Symphony doing modern music, modern contemporary classical music. And then I just jumped back to uh, jazz, Dave Parker Sextet. We play every week in San Francisco for the last 20 years. And we headlined twice the San Francisco Fillmore Jazz Festival. I have among the best musicians in town. I'm a very serious jazz musician. Yeah, I love, I love jazz, too. And then as a person in real estate, I discovered very young that I had intuition for it. And uh, uh, I built up a, a, a large wealth, <laughs> I suppose I could say. I've been very successful. And, I, and then... I got serious about writing, and I read and write three to five hours a day, and I have for the last 35 years, I have about 35,000 hours of postgraduate study in political economy. I like to think that I kind of know what I'm talking about, combining all those four, especially combining all those four careers simultaneously. Yeah. So uh, tell us about your book. Income and Wealth. What was the inspiration for you uh, writing this piece of literature? Well, there's two inspirations. One, I wanted to tell my kids a tiny bit of memoir epiphanies I had at a very young age about income and wealth. One epiphany, I was 12 years old, sitting at the breakfast table with my parents, and a waiter died at this famous St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. They're going under his mattress and looking around, and they found stock certificates. The guy was worth millions of dollars. 
he spent his whole life just being a waiter. I said, how is that possible? And that was my first indication that income and wealth are unrelated. And my grandfather, when I was 14, my grandmother told me that he would pace the house. They were refugees from World War II, tried to get as far away from Europe as possible. San Francisco sounded good. He said, go out and stop pacing the house and get a job, do something. He came back at the end of the day. He bought four movie theaters. He didn't have any money. I said, how is that possible? That really just disturbed me. He got investors to do it in his case. And then I was teaching school, my first teaching job, talking to the custodian. I preferred talking to the custodians than talking to the other teachers. And we're talking Pavarotti, and we're debating French and Italian cuisine. And then he says to me, I'm not doing this uh, for the money. I love coming in in the morning and talking to the early arriving students and teachers and turning on the heat. I own four apartment buildings. This is just, I'm just having a good time. And that was it. I really began to think about it. I began to write about it. And then my wife says, you better take a class on economics. I went to Golden Gate University and took 67 units straight of math and economics, got a master's in economics. Then I wrote the book. And that was one of the messages, that income and wealth are completely unrelated. The message would also be that you can do what you want in life. Be an artist. Be a school teacher. Open a restaurant. That could very well be a failing proposition. But if you're not worried about the money, you're not worried about the customers. You can have a good time. And so to do that was one of my just a small part of the book, but I do a, almost an Excel spreadsheet, penny for penny, how a person working at McDonald's on minimum wage can become financially independent in 10 years. If you're making more, you'll be financially independent at a higher salary. And what I'm saying for someone with no business skill is you save half your salary, your gross salary. Don't pay your bills if you have to. Save half your salary. Every year, purchase an income-producing asset with leverage, the house next door. If 10 people are offering a certain price, that's what it's worth. You don't have to know anything more than that. Just buy it. Next year, buy the house next door. Next year, the house next door. Next year, the corner grocery. Buy a fleet of trucks if it's easier for you. Just get income coming in from assets that you purchase with leverage in you. I spell it out penny for penny. At the end of 10 years, unbelievably, you are financially independent at that, uh, at that wage level you were. Life is over. I mean, life begins <laughs> or something like that. You don't have to worry about money anymore. I was just motivated to say that. And then I'm also motivated to say in my second book, A San Francisco Conservative, which volume two of my David Parker essays, is that all taxes are paid by the middle class. The poor aren't paying and the rich aren't paying. You can't get it. So stop talking about taxing the rich. And if you want government programs, make sure they work because you're gonna, you are paying for it, the middle class American. I, I make that very clear. It's one of the reasons I feel I must write so the world stops maybe spending so much money. Start throwing money at problems.
Yeah, that's a great um, perspective there. I, I, I like that. So what is the difference between income and wealth? Well, wealth is uh, real assets. Um, real estate is great. If you own stocks, especially blue chip stocks that are not, <laughs> not going to disappear on you, don't be buying cryptocurrencies. Um, uh, gold or art, um, something that you can convert to, uh, to money if you need to, that's wealth. It doesn't have to be generating income. As long as the whole world will pay you for what you pay for, or pay you more over time because it's going up in value, that's wealth. And if you're a minimum wage person and you have enough money to live on, you're wealthy. I'm not talking absolute dollars. I make a rough statement. Uh, I hope it doesn't bother you, but that the poor... There's absolute wealth and relative wealth. The poor in this country are not absolutely poor. Absolutely poor is you don't have running water and you don't have sewage and all kinds of stuff like that, which the poor in America live, the bottom 5% of America, live better than 95% of the rest of the world. And they're, they're not conscious of it enough and not appreciative enough, complaining a little bit too much. So what would you say to the person who is listening uh, to us have this conversation and they are working and they are just making minimum wage, which in this country uh, is between $7.25 an hour. And they're working their 40 hours plus every week to get paid every two weeks and then with taxes and the bills that they have, not to mention the uh, incredible inflation uh, that is going on now, to them listening to this is like, how in the world can I gain wealth on a minimum wage income? It's absolutely impossible. Just the fact that $7.25 is the minimum wage, and it has been that for, I don't know, what, 20 three, 24 years, it is wild. Um, and depending on which state you live in, is $15 an hour. So that person listening right now, like, I'm only making this $7.25 or $8.50 an hour. He's talking about, I can have wealth on that. How? It helps if you do it with your spouse. Um, but you, uh, you just have to be disciplined and you're probably living way over your means. $15 is in San Francisco because it costs more to live here. But people commute every day, maybe an hour each way. Why don't you live around the corner from where you work and put those two extra hours in at time and a half? In San Francisco, you're already at 22.50 an hour. A loaf of bread in San Francisco is five bucks in some of the shishi bread stores, bakeries. Buy a bag of uh, oats for $5. <laughs> Make 50 loaves of bread. Share your car. Get rid of the car. Share the Internet. Cut your expenses way down. Your, get a roommate. Get two roommates. Whatever you have to do for that 10-year period. If you have expenses, you just 
can't make ends meet, don't make your expenses. Don't pay them. <laughs> Let, put that money aside and keep investing. In 10 years, you'll, you'll be free. You just have to do it. It works. Okay. It's easier with a partner, with a spouse, I, I would admit. With a partner or with a spouse. Okay. Yeah. But then one would say these inflation costs are just incredibly high. And even with two incomes that won't equate to and, and this just has to do with, you know, the times. I mean, I know I'm just playing devil's advocate because I know people that are, you know, really um, struggling and they have a spouse and trying to combine yeah. their incomes, but just barely making ends meet. Uh, but before you respond, let me do a quick reset. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We're talking to former teacher, real estate investor, and musician David Parker. Uh, his book, Income and Wealth, is available now. So uh, t- to what I was just saying uh, back there with the two incomes, e- e- even if they are trying to do that, and they still can't make ends meet because of the inflation um what else would you would, suggest i would say forget the inflation inflation is either here or it's not here or it's in, in between it's always something always something if uh, over time if we really have inflation salaries will go up if san francisco minimum wage is 15 and it's seven dollars someplace else that means that the cost of real estate the cost of everything is much less one of the cats in my band was living in, a, in the sound studio. He couldn't afford an apartment in San Francisco. I was trying to help him out. And he says, he told me, I, wanna, I come from Port Arthur, Texas. And I, I have a little house. My parents, my grandparents gave it to me. I says, man, sell that house and just go buy a tiny little condo here in San Francisco. He says, you know how much that house was worth? $25,000. A condo... <laughs> One of one studio is maybe five hundred thousand in San Francisco. So even at seven dollars, if you're in a seven dollar area, things are not costing that much. And you need to have a you need to share your apartment with somebody else. You need to get your expenses down. Get rid of the car. Live live where you work, so you can work two extra hours a time and a half. Just um, yeah. Get your expenses down. Yeah, living, over your, living over your means, even if you think you're living at the bottom of it, you're living over your means. David, I got to tell you, uh, being here in the state of Texas, especially in Houston, it is so widespread. It is it is difficult to get around and move around in this widespread oh. city without a vehicle. Okay, that's okay. You could be in Los Angeles, it's the same thing. You just have to think about it. You can't make excuses. Just move to where you work. Just live around the corner. Now, I agree with that. I mean, at at an early age, I always thought that economically it made more sense to live closer to where you work so you, you know, won't have to spend as much on gas and and, and all of that. So um, also in your book, you talk about you you set out um, the framework uh, reflecting on the role of government in our lives and the opportunities available to each of us. I personally, especially since my awakening, um, I don't like government involvement in my personal life in any aspect. I would like for them to leave me alone and let me do things on my own because that way I am a free and sovereign being. And when they come down with, you know, when they come down with these things like IE 
<laughs> a vaccine mandate, you know, that you don't have control over my life in that aspect. So, so, um, yeah, so right what do you that. mean with that? No, that, I'm, I think the founding fathers got it right. <clears throat> At the beginning of the uh, <clears throat> Revolutionary War, Thomas Jefferson said, announced, <clears throat> we're going to create a, uh, a country that doesn't exist anywhere in the world. No king or queen. The government will be so small, you won't even see it. Maybe you'll see the post office. It's not part of your life. Everyone is going to have the vote, no matter what your social status is, no matter what your wealth is. And if you're afraid of that, you're afraid of democracy. And Jefferson says, leave. We're going to fight a war here. We don't even have a military. We're going to fight the biggest military in Europe. And thousands of people left. You guys are out of your mind. But they won. Just like maybe they'll win in Ukraine. I don't know. Uh, That's the founding father vision. And uh, uh, Frederick Douglass himself said, don't go with the slavery stuff. Those guys knew their faults. They knew it was wrong. They rose to the occasion when they made that constitution. They they bettered themselves. That's a great, great document, and that's what it's all about. You're on your own. Maximum individual freedom and the exchanges, maximum personal responsibility. They didn't say that, but that's the trade-off. Hmm. That is very, uh, that's, that's very interesting. That is very, very interesting. Um, so with your book, what is it that you hope for people to take from income and wealth? Well, you almost were on it. One, that they're separate, and there's no excuse not to become financially independent. If you can't do it in 10 years because you know, don't want that Spartan lifestyle or you're full of excuses, do it in 15 or do it in 20. Start when you're 20, when you're 40, you're independent, if that's what it takes. <clears throat> and the other message is that, one, that the middle class or anybody who's working, they're paying all the taxes in this country. So why, should, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to work real hard to pay for the person who's not working real hard? And I'm saying, why don't you look at the results of government <clears throat> intervention in the economy and and government intervention in our social lives. The war on poverty is a perfect example. 1964, we're fighting a war in Vietnam with a budget deficit, and Johnson says, I don't care. It's unconscionable that a nation as wealthy as us <clears throat> tolerates a 15% poverty rate. Unconscionable. We're going to end this war once and for all, or win this war once and for all. We've been spending and spending 50 years later the needle hasn't budged on average. 15% poverty in 64, 15% poverty today. A tiny bit less because the economy is so working. But on average, that needle jumped up and down, stayed at 15%. And we have, just for the war on poverty, spent $23 trillion, four times what we spent for all wars this nation ever fought, including World War II, and no results all paid for by the working middle class. That's my other message. <clears throat> Get government out of our life. Yeah. And, and before we go, um, <laughs> you know, we're currently in a shift. And after 
certain wars, after certain uh, events, i.e. Queen Elizabeth uh, just dying. There's a lot of talk of this new digital currency exchange being implemented um, and that the fiat coin or the, the dollar bill, um, the just fiat currency itself will be done with and we'll be dealing with this digital currency. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Don't go there. Don't do it. <clears throat> Tell them you don't want it. If it's going to happen quick, get all your assets into gold and put it in Switzerland. That's the uh, already having a fiat currency is risky, but the government, U.S. government is not going to crash. It's, so we all accept But it. No, but I this accept. is per the World Economic Forum. Yeah. Yeah, don't do it. Don't go with it. Tell them you don't want it. You're not using it. <clears throat> it's, it's, there's no, don't do anything where there's no precedence. Okay, so, somebody has a, so David is saying just say no. <laughs> I mean, a little weed, but, don't, but everything else, just say no. Yeah, just say no. Listen, Mr. Parker, thank you so much uh, for your time. David Parker, the author of Income uh, and Wealth. Uh, you can get it wherever you buy your books. Of course, it, it's available on Amazon and at Barnes & Nobles and, you know, Books a Million and things like that. And DavidParkerEssays.com. DavidParkerEssays.com. Mr. David Parker... Um, Thank you so much for your time and being on the Public Affairs Podcast. All right. Thank you for inviting me, too. It was a a nice conversation. Thank you. And for those of you listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, we will be back after this. Welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth, and I am so excited uh, to have on the phone line a representative of Texas Southern University. She is the Vice President for Research and Innovation. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Michelle Penn Marshall to the Public Affairs Podcast. How are you today? I am doing well. Good. Well, Thank let, you me so much let me ask this. Let me ask this instead of how you're doing. How are mm-hmm. you feeling? I am feeling great, fantastic, and super because it is a wonderful time to be at Texas Southern University where we are achieving unprecedented success at an accelerated pace. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, there's so much great news. I mean, with uh, I heard Vice President uh, Kamala Harris talking about how you all are receiving this. I think it was $90 million. Um, And then, you know, we've got how NASA has just selected TSU uh, to host this technology infusion road tour, uh, which was uh, last week. And so, yeah, you guys are up. You're on. You've got a reality show that is very successful on BET Plus. The graduation rate is is through the roof. The um, folks are just the kids are registering to come to TSU. It's just I mean, what a time to be alive. It's a wonderful time to be a tiger at Tiger Nation, and we have room for more. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So I'm, I'm ready to just get right into it. Like, you know, when I saw the, um, the press release and, and in the news how NASA had selected TSU to host this HBCU MSI technology uh, infusion road tour, I was just like, wow. I mean, just 
absolutely wow. And I mean, and, and it's only fitting since that, you know, TSU, one of the more uh, popular HBCUs in the, in the country uh, here in Houston and NASA it, itself is here in Houston. So this is a um, this is a great collaboration. How did all of this come about? I am so glad you asked that. So on the 2nd of June, Madam President, our 13th President, Dr. Alicia Crumpton Young and uh, Mrs. Vanessa Weish signed a Space Act Agreement. And that Space Act Agreement actually allows us to have a partnership with NASA at the Johnson Space Center and NASA all over the United States of America, where we can partner, we can collaborate, they can bring opportunities to us, and we can bring other HBCUs and MSIs and PWIs involved in it. But it gives our students a platform. They have been in, they have been um, participating in internship interviews today. I've talked to students in electrical engineering, students from aviation and management and business. So it's all a buzz on this campus. And also, our faculty members can have exchanges. They can conduct research at NASA. They can have appointments there. And we are going. You've heard NASA say we are going to the moon. So TSU is going with NASA. <laughs> to the moon and, and beyond. I mean, let's, Absolutely. let's explore Mars and and, and Venus, if we could get there, all all of them. Like this is just so exciting. Just on a personal note, like how does it feel to be a part of this, Michelle? Just for you. Oh, it is a humbling and gratifying experience to have the opportunity to serve in this capacity with the faculty and students and staff members at Texas Southern University, to be able to be global, to bring partnerships and relationships here. It's a responsibility. It's an honor and a privilege. And I absolutely love it. How did you um, get into your role there at TSU, being the vice president for research and innovation? What What does all of that entail? So I got into the role. They, um, this is I am actually the inaugural vice president for research and oh, innovation. Wow. Okay, so you're the first. And <laughs> the first. And I would love to take credit for all of the wonderful research that has gone on before I arrived, but I would not be telling the truth if I did that. And I will not take any shine from my colleagues. So Texas Southern University is an elite. R2 classified by Carnegie. So we're research two, which means high research activity. And we're one of 11 in the country. There are only 11 classified with that. And we're on our way to R1, which is the highest classification. And so I got here through an interview process, through an application process, and I had previously served as a vice president for research at another institution. My background is in biology, environmental science master's, and a doctorate in nutrition. I love faculty members, I love students, I love research, and I love opening doors for people. Indeed. So um, back to the uh, the tour, the NASA Road Tour, uh, which sure. was just uh, this past week. Um, it was a three-day interactive event. Um, so walk us through um, what happened uh, each day of, um, of of last week for um, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and, and how the students and faculties had the 
opportunity to participate in uh, in the NASA days, if you will. Yes. Well, thank you again for that question. You have done your homework. Oh. So the, <laughs> the NASA HBCU MSI Technology Infusion Road Tour actually is still going on for students who are interviewed. It's, no, it actually just ended about five minutes ago. So we started on Tuesday. There was an open from Madam President Dr. Alicia Crumpton Young. There was a welcome from her from Ms. Vanessa Weish, who is the director of the Johnson Space Center. Our debate team had the audience who was in the room, more than 150 people, as well as those who were online. This is a hybrid event mm-hmm. in tears. They explained the history of space and how people of color have been involved in this for years. They named them by name. They talked about the, their roles and responsibilities, and it was just an electrifying environment. That was then followed by, as, as though there was anything else needed, but NASA was prepared to provide opportunities to let faculty know about procurement, about the mission directorates, about small business opportunities. And then we had a fireside chat where there was a discussion about the need for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility at NASA. And we know that TSU is able to provide all of those areas. So that conversation was quite frank and open, and we really left with some action items that we would ensure that we take up that charge and that we also partner with other institutions. It's important that people understand people's culture and that we respect our differences because we're not going to solve problems alone. Transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary plenary studies, that's the only way to go. Team science, whatever we do, we have to do it in a team and collectively honoring each other and our skills and abilities. Mm, I love that. And I, I love the fact that, you know, NASA, um, you know, finally said to us all that, you know, people of color, uh, particularly, you know, us, uh, black folk, um, has always participated Mm-hmm. in this um because you know from that that movie that great movie that starred Taraji P. Henson, you know back, back in uh 2014 uh that came out oh what's the name of that film it, it excuse hidden me. figures hidden figures yes when hidden figures came out because i was at the premiere of that and just watching that movie in just pure astonishment and awe that you know, black women were at the forefront of this, but never, ever, ever, ever got their props for participating in these space programs and responsible for uh, a lot of the things that, you know, NASA was doing while exploring uh, uh, in space. And and, and I was just, you know, I remember leaving and, and, and talking to other dignitaries who were there at that premiere, like, wow, could you imagine where black girls and and boys would be right now had we known known that then had we known had they seen themselves in those roles 
how we could have, because you know we take over everything, how we could have taken over and just excelled even more when it comes to, um, you know, space programs and just, you know, science, technology, you know, engineering, engineering and mathematics. And math. That's right. You know, it, it, right. it, it, it was so ooh, I would have loved to have been there. Did they and, and, and I don't know. I mean, you can speak on it if you if you choose. I'm just one of those guys like did they touch on that? Did they I don't know, maybe even apologize for the dismissal or any uh, or any of that? Not that I heard, but you know what they're doing. While we have to pay attention to history and some mistakes that we've made, some great things that we've accomplished, we also have to make it our business to correct those things and to move forward. Not that we would not acknowledge those errors, but let's, going forward, what are we going to do differently so that the children in these this generation, the teenagers, the college students, the faculty staff, people can know who they are and that they're represented and that the opportunity is there. We're going to eradicate the imposter syndrome and we're leveling the playing field and we're moving onward and upward. Indeed. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We're talking to Dr. Michelle Penn Marshall, the Vice President of Research and Innovation at Texas Southern University. Uh, They just ended um, the Technology Infusion Road Tour. Uh, Texas Southern University was selected by NASA themselves to uh, host this HBCU uh, MSI Technology Infusion Road Tour. And um, I mean, we're all um, elated. Any feedback from the students themselves that you've heard or, or, or seen? Absolutely. So the students were excited. They were prepared. They learned that even if your major is not science, technology, engineering, or math, if you're in business, if you're in communication, if you're in the arts, if you're in the health sciences, there is room and a need and a space for you at NASA. So with this remarkable event that just happened, will will there be some sort of um, video recap where people can uh, go and and see um, what was transpired here for this road tour? That is an excellent question. So the participants who registered will actually get the slide decks. And we had two and a half full days from eight, nine in the morning until five in the evening of activities. And their slide decks from Washington, D.C.'s NASA directorate, from Mission directorates, from Johnson Space Center, from Kennedy Space Center, from Langley. Uh, There's so much information. So while there will be some things and clips that are available on the websites, Mm -hmm. it is going to be a challenge and an opportunity, and we're ready for the challenge, to unpack all of that because now we need to execute it. What we do have would be wonderful pictures. We had students to perform in our museum, our jazz ensemble, two young ladies sing sang like angels. Our jazz ensemble performed while while uh, the NASA guest and the faculty and staff and students walked through our museum and saw all of the beautiful artifacts that we have. 
So we have our work cut out for us. While this was a success, now it's time to execute. It's time to apply for the funding. It's time to ensure our students get those internships. It's time to form additional partnerships with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that um, as excited as I am about this, and I'm sure that the people listening here in Houston and just internationally to this podcast uh, will just, you know, be anxious to see, you know, something because this is just so incredible. Um, how long is this partnership going to be in effect with NASA? Is this something that is going to uh, continue on through the future or is it just for a season? Are they going to select um, other HBCUs to be a part? Do you know of any of them? Well, we actually have a Space Act agreement that is for several years. I know it's at least five years, and it may go, my hope is, into perpetuity. Okay, I know that's right. The, the Space Act agreement opens the types of opportunities like this road tour. But NASA does the infusion road tours. Um, this is the first live one that they've had since the, I, I hope I'm right, I hope I'm not misspeaking, since COVID. Mm -hmm. They were at Chicago, in Chicago in April, and they have been virtual. We had a hybrid, which was very successful. So other institutions um, will have the opportunity to bring the road tour to their area, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, indeed. Um, what else is happening uh, over there at TSU? I mean, you've, you guys got a lot going on. Yes, we have focused on uh, this road tour, um, but I'm sure that there's there's so many other things. Any any other things that you would like to share that the great things that are happening over at TSU? I would love to have the opportunity to, to do that, and thank you for providing it. So I think it's important that people know that Texas Southern University is the first and only institution in the state of Texas to offer the College of Transdisciplinary Studies. So if you're listening and you may have stopped out, dropped out, life happens, mm -hmm. and not had the opportunity to finish your degree, those credits, with some criteria, of course, can still be counted towards a degree in this particular college. And I'm so grateful that our president has that kind of vision, because sometimes there's so many constraints. If the course is more than five years old, you can no longer count it towards the degree. That is not the case with the College of Transdisciplinary Studies. And I am thrilled to say that. So I hope people will go on the website. They will look for that. They will know that this is their season. This is their time and that they can finish their degree, their bachelor's, their master's at Texas Southern University through the College of Transdisciplinary Studies if they've stopped out for any reason they're ready to come back we're open to receive you how about that and i, I know that you know uh, fall classes have already began so um would it be wise for them to um register for um during the winter or they can just do that now so it would absolutely be wise to register for the spring semester, or the some people call that the winter. Yeah, it's January. It is winter time. You're right. Um, but 
But to start looking now and to start having those conversations, to start making those contacts so that um, they will be able to be enrolled. And we also will be having um, EDD or the Doctorate in Education and the Doctorate of Philosophy programs in transdisciplinary studies. So religious studies and society transdisciplinary sciences and urbanism, human and health sciences. There's so much brain power in the state of Texas and in the United in the world actually. Yeah. So for people to have the opportunity, some jobs require certain credentialing to get that credentialing so that you can be everything you were created to be and you can walk fully into your destiny. Indeed. Um, earlier on in the conversation, I, I mentioned how I you know, heard an interview with the vice president, Kamala Harris, uh, talking about the uh, $90 million that uh, TSU is receiving. And I believe that um, I think she said that PV will be getting $86 million or something like that. Please don't quote me. Um, it, it, can you can you talk about that? How uh, exciting that is! Maybe where the that funds will be. Are you guys going to? It sounds like that's enough money to transform the whole campus. Well, and I. I did look that up on the news because I was not in those conversations. She was at the Johnson Space Center last week, and I was hoping that she would either fly back or stay mm-hmm. for you know for Tuesday. Yeah. But my understanding is that funding is for HBCUs and STEM. So, um, and don't quote me either. And I, I wish I could pull it up on my phone so that I could speak from a vantage point of knowledge. Sure. But just offering that. It's, you know, the playing field is being leveled. And the things that HBCUs and MSIs have not had the same level of funding, the same level of opportunities, the same respect. This is our season and we are seizing the moment, as some people say, carpe diem. Yes, yes, indeed. It is definitely um, as um, a great um, pastor, Mia Wright, um, I, I heard her give a sermon one time and she said, you know, it is my time and it is yes. my turn. Yes. And yes. that is what I feel like is happening for all, you know, melanated people across the globe. Yes. You know, we've been suppressed yes. for so long. You know, th- there's been this false narrative about, you know, the way that we think and the way that we act and how we're not this intelligent. And, you know, we all know that is, as the kids say, cap. And, and and now it, it it not only is it our time, it is our turn. So I I definitely uh, resonate uh, on that frequency of 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 what you are saying, Doctor Michelle Penn Marshall, the Vice President for Research and Innovation at Texas Southern University. Thank you so much uh, for your time and and sharing your scholarship uh, with us on the Public Affairs Podcast and letting us know about all of the great things at Texas Southern University. But before we go, is there anything else that the people should know, anything else that you would like to say? Thank you. Absolutely. So I want everyone to be on the lookout. Texas Southern University is going to be debuting or hosting the film, The Color of Space. The Color of Space. So please check out our website. Look for it. It is actually being brought to us by an industry partner, Blue Origins. I also want to give a shout out to my colleagues, faculty, staff, and students that without them, the Infusion Road Tour would never have been a success. 
and we had facility tours from our high-performance computing center, our, our transportation and translation labs, biophysics labs, virtual airport, flight simulations, our vivarium, and the osteoimmunology and integrative lab. I just want to thank Dean Salim. I want to thank everyone at Texas Southern, our food services, people who cleaned the buildings, kept the air going, made a whole difference, our technology department, and thank NASA because we actually partnered with them to make this a success. Indeed. Dr. Michelle Penn Marshall, VP of Research and Innovation for TSU, thank you again. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Indeed. And for those of you listening to the podcast, on behalf of Uncle Funky Larry Jones, I am KG Smooth, and this has been the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We'll see you next week.